Good morning, friends. Um, I think I know what Jesus felt like when he was with his disciples and and said, I I long to celebrate this with you, this Passover. Um, It's been a number of weeks since I've been able to speak, and I was praying all the weeks along that I would be able to join you during Holy Week, which is such an important uh, time of the church uh, calendar for us, such a significant time for us to remember and to take in all that the Lord Jesus did for us. We as a denomination are one that likes to stand on God's Word and point to King Jesus. And this week of all weeks is a time where that focus comes to a climax. And so I'm so grateful I could be here this Palm Sunday. Thank you for your many uh, prayers. Um, I want to ask you during Lent, you know, fasting is often a powerful discipline to help meditate on what the Lord has done. How's your Lenten fasting going? Mine's been going great. (laughs) Better than ever. Um, That was a joke. Um, May the Lord enable you to find ways to focus and to put aside distractions and to really look at who the Lord Jesus is. As Eric was sharing, please do take advantage of the video devotionals. Each one has a point to help you meditate and to think on the days leading to Easter. I'm going to pray, particularly because my heart is heavy this week, as I think about those churches in Nashville and what their worship services are like today. And pray for us in our own hearts. Father, we give ourselves to You. We thank You that You are the victorious King who has conquered sin and Satan and death itself. His greatest weapon. And we thank You that You reign victorious right now at the Father's right hand. And Lord, we thank You for Your Holy Word. And we thank You for the the privilege is to come together as your people. I pray that you will bless us. Give us eyes to see Jesus even a little bit more than we did before. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I have four points today. Um, I might need to sit uh, if I feel a little wobbly, so forgive me for being shorter than I already am. Um, if I sit, but I pray that the Lord would use this for you in a good way. Uh, The four points. First, a week of pain. Two, pain on purpose. Three, no pain, no gain. And fourthly, the redeeming of pain. I have a question. Do you have pain in your life? Have you had pain in your life? Almost every single person in here should say yes, otherwise you're lying. Do you try to run as far away from it as possible? That's what most people do. That's what we try to do. We try not to think of death ever. Do you simply accept it? Or do you embrace it and seek out God's heart in it? Did you hear what I asked? Do you embrace it and seek out God's heart in it? That's one of the big things that 
that that got me this past week as I was meditating and preparing for this. My illness for the past month has been full of physical and mental pain. For those who weren't here last week, the doctor strongly believes that it's a stomach ulcer. I have no idea. I think it could be uh, because it's associated with my eating and I have not been able to eat for four weeks. But I want you as our people to know something that I really need your prayers on. Um, Satan has continually used physical issues at various key moments in my life, all throughout my life. I truly believe, as my wife Jaya has shared with some of you recently, I think on a Wednesday night, that there's a strong spiritual dimension to it, to this for us as a family. I've often been attacked through physical ailments. You know that I've been through things like Lyme disease and three or four kidney stones and various other things. And I don't know why it's that, but that's been a pattern in my life. So the reason I'm sharing that is as our people, I need your prayers. This is one of the ways that I'm attacked. And I pray that the Lord would help me to sustain through it. This has been a very hard week otherwise. It's likely been a very hard one for all of our hearts. In the mid-morning hours of Monday this past week, our nation was ushered into the darkness of another horror-filled day of sadness in our history. And this time it was hitting closer to home than ever, as you probably already know. The Covenant School of Nashville was the center of the nation's attention, and soon seven people were dead before the morning was over. Three children, Evelyn, William, and Hallie, all nine-year-olds, and Catherine, Mike, and Cynthia, whose funeral was yesterday. The adults, as well as the shooter, Audrey Hill, In the blink of a few minutes, evil had struck pain in the hearts of our nation once again. What a sad thing. By Monday afternoon, I came to hear that our colleague and pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church of Nashville, Chad Scruggs, had lost his own child. Hallie was one of them. Chad and I had the privilege of serving at the same church, Park City's Presbyterian Church in Dallas, although at different times, and we share many, many very close friends in common. Hallie was born here in Dallas while he was past, uh, SMU RUF pastor, and Hallie was baptized at Park City's. Jay and I just seen Chad at the beginning of February at Park City's. I can't believe just a short two months later he's going through this. In fact, A couple weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, Chad had preached on the topic of death. Can you believe that? And this week, he was engulfed in the reality of it in the worst possible way. Do you know what was the most often repeated statement from believers, particularly in our close circle as PCA uh, brothers and sisters throughout this week? Come, Lord Jesus, come. That was the most often repeated phrase that I read on uh, uh, social media posts and blogs and podcasts is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you have days like that? When it's so overwhelming... that you want Jesus to come today. That he would not tarry. 
that he would put an end to sin and pain and death. This is how we should be every week. But this week, many believers felt the pangs of that. Not tomorrow, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come today. My first point, a week of pain. From the brief section from Luke that we read, we see Jesus weeping, but this was actually the second time that we see Jesus weeping. Just not long ago, he had wept as well at the tomb of his beloved friend Lazarus. I don't know how far back they go or why they were so close in particular. But we know Jesus, upon the, uh, the time of the entry into Jerusalem, he was lodging in Bethany, probably at their home. And just weeks before, he was at the tomb of his beloved friend Lazarus, but this time it was different. At Lazarus' tomb, this is what it says in the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And what we see from the original understanding of that language indicates that our Lord wept silent tears or tears of compassion for his friends. When he saw Mary wailing and sobbing and the other mourners and his beloved Lazarus, whom he waited on purpose to come and see, Four days later, until death was truly death, until he was smelling in the tomb, as dead as dead could be. And he came so that there would be no doubt who he was and what he was going to do. But as our Lord approached Jerusalem in the passage we read this morning and thought of all the lost souls, this is what it says. Right in the process of the triumphal entry, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and He weeps. He saw the city and wept over it. Luke 19.41 Here the word is not a silent crying, but a loud crying so others would hear, that others could hear. The same wept that was referred to Mary at Lazarus' tomb where she was wailing and sobbing. And why did Jesus cry aloud in anguish over the future of the city? Because there is a difference in these two instances because of the eternal outcomes that were so different. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus had eternal life because they believed in the Lord Jesus, but most in Jerusalem did not believe and therefore did not have life. And Jesus wails over Jerusalem. He weeps. Our Lord was accustomed to sorrow and pain. He was about to enter the ultimate week of pain in His life. But the truth is that His whole life's purpose was to experience and absorb into Himself suffering and pain. He was the man of sorrows. Have you ever considered that term? The man of sorrows was his name. Consider just some of the events that unfolded that week. His sorrow over Jerusalem and the many who would not know peace because they had missed him completely for the true Messiah that he was. His sorrow over leaving his beloved disciples very soon in their last times together. His anguish and pain in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Praying alone 
feeling loneliness and agony to the point of sweating blood? How about his betrayal by one of his own that he kept within his closest circles, Judas Iscariot? His arrest and extreme torture and mocking that he endured. Do you remember all that mocking and scoffing and his betrayal by Peter, his humiliation by the Roman soldiers, his agony as he carried the cross, the crucifixion itself, the most torturous death reserved for the worst criminals to set an example by the Roman government that you do not cross Rome or this is what would happen for all to see, to hang on a tree and to experience death until you could bear it no more. The songwriter says, Man of sorrow is what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. My second point, pain on purpose. Jesus took pain on purpose. He was the king. He could have snapped his fingers or asked legions of angels or Michael himself, the archangel, to come and rescue him. But he endured pain and suffering, and it was precisely for this that he came. Do you remember Mark 10.45? I would encourage you to highlight it this week. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and listen to this, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you think giving your life is not painful? You think pouring out your life for the sake of others and putting others first is not painful or have suffering tied to that? Of course it does. The incarnation of Jesus the Son took place in Adam's line. I want you to remember that. Christ's humanity is our humanity, but the distinction is that the Son of God did not assume a fallen nature in the incarnation. Jesus is connected genetically and experientially to the rest of us, Adam's children. Just as question and answer 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism explains, Jesus, like his brothers, was like his brothers in every way except sin. He possesses all that is necessary to be truly human and experience what it means to be a human creature who is wholly dependent on the Creator. And unlike the rest of Adam's children, just like Adam who sought to be autonomous, Jesus never sought to be independent of His Father. He was always depending on the Father, always looking to the Father, always relying on the Father. And this is true even when Jesus endured the temptation. You may remember that story where Satan promised Christ great worldly rewards in the hope that he would choose the same autonomy that Adam did, but Jesus did not. He didn't give in to Satan. He relied on his Father and on the very words of Scripture. That's what the Gospels tell us. Existing as one of us and resisting temptation 
enabled Jesus to make propitiation. That's what the Scripture tells us. To make propitiation for His people and turn away the wrath of God that we should have had. Also, by taking on our nature and enduring temptation, Jesus goes before us in the battle against evil to show us that relying completely on God and His Word is the only way that we can go up against evil and sin and win. Jesus leads the way. Taking on humanity and enduring pain and suffering, He leads the way and shows us that only relying on the Father is the way that we can go up against and fortify ourselves against sin and the devil. Listen, friends who don't take the devil seriously, he's smarter than you. He knows you. He knows the one thing that you're weak in. He knows your address. He knows where to find you. He knows which buttons to press. He knows what circumstances will cause you to stumble. And King Jesus leads the way and says, do this. Rely on the Father alone. Don't be autonomous. Don't try to be your own man. What a great thing that Jesus was man for us. Listen to what Calvin writes. Nothing happens to us but what the Son of God has Himself experienced in order that He might sympathize with us. Nor let us doubt that He is at present with us as though He suffered with us. What are you suffering through today? Do you dare think you're going through that alone? Absolutely not. The Son, the very Son of God who went through all the sufferings on this earth, knows our suffering and it's as He is suffering through it with us. Hear the hymn writer again. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah. What a Savior. My third point. No pain, no gain. Who has not heard that? The world says that. You got to grind the stone. You got to keep going. If you want to be successful, if you want to be a president, if you want to be a CEO, if you want to be a leader, no pain, no gain. Put in the hours. I read that all the time on my feeds of brothers and sisters who are after the world and who put in the time and says, this is how to be successful. You know, in the first century churches, the churches of the apostles, false teachers were present everywhere. And one of the most common false teachings they spread was their denial, was their denial that the Son of God had taken on human form. But why this issue? Why was it so offensive about Christ becoming man? They said, He couldn't have become man. Not really. Part of the answer has to do with Plato. Have you heard of Plato? Great thinker, great influencer. The whole culture was impacted by Plato. Plato's world of ideas included this. It concerned matter. To put it simply, matter was bad. 
The physical was bad. It was simply out of the realm of possibilities that something good like God would become bad, flesh. So the false teachers proposed that Christ only appeared to be human. What we find in the Scriptures, what we find in the New Testament, completely and clearly and directly refutes this idea. We see that Jesus grew tired. He got hungry. He thirsted. He had spatial limitations. He agonized. He suffered. He exhibited human emotions. He exhibited intellect and volition. He died. Christ was and is truly man, truly human. Our Savior was truly tempted and truly suffered, yet He never gave in to sin. And because He succeeded in His perfect obedience and endurance, before He succeeded in that, the Son is glorified by the Father. What was my point? No pain, no gain. I want to share with you a passage that's very significant any time in the year, but especially now. It comes from Paul's writing to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Okay, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. It's often called the Christ hymn, which was a hymn that the ancient church probably used when they were persecuted. But listen to these words Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, here's the gain part, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say it with me, people. Amen. Amen. I want to distinguish now for a moment for you Christ's previous state of humiliation and His current state of exaltation. Jesus became God-man at the Incarnation. Theologians refer to two states. To two states. Listen to this. They refer to his life on earth from the time of his incarnation through his death and burial as a state of humiliation. That covers the first part of Philippians 2, 5 through 8. During that time, he was the God-man. And he went through humiliation. He went through the passion. He went through the sufferings. He endured the loss of friends, betrayal, punishment, mockery crucifixion. Theologians then call the time from Christ's resurrection, including His ascension, current heavenly session, and His future return as the state of exaltation. That we see in the latter part of that passage in Philippians 2, verses 9-11. through 11, As He's seated upon His throne at the Father's right hand. By the way, why is He seated at the Father's right hand? The place of honor? Because He endured and obeyed and pleased His Father perfectly. And so the Father gives Him the place of honor and the name that is above every name. And even then, now, He remains still fully the God-man, truly man, and truly God. 
Do you think about that? That right now in heaven, Jesus is still fully human. That he bears the marks that only a human could. And nothing has changed. He was fully God and fully man in his humiliation on earth and now in his exaltation in heaven. He is fully God and fully man. It's a beautiful phrase, but it addresses harsh realities. And we can see examples of his empathizing with common infirmities throughout the Gospels. The Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of this term, common infirmities, that Jesus endured. But we notice the distinction between a state of humiliation and the state of exaltation. During his state of humiliation, he endured common infirmities as all of us. Do you ever think that Jesus does not know that specific problem that you're going through? Maybe he didn't endure job loss, but he experienced things similar enough that were heavier than that. And so he has experienced our common infirmities. I'm going to ask you a question Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Jesus was. Have you ever experienced a loss? Maybe a death? Maybe a relationship? Jesus did. Have you ever experienced intense, excruciating pain? Level 9, level 10 a couple weeks ago. I was beside myself. Jesus did. Have you ever been slandered? Talked badly of, mocked, rejected, Jesus was. He wasn't distant while he lived among us during his state of humiliation. He wasn't aloof, and he's not aloof now. Can you hear me? He is not aloof then or now. In his state of exaltation, as the glorified Son, at the right hand of His Father, He is not distant from you or aloof from you from what you are going through. It's a significant application for us who wrestle with whether to give our lives to Christ and trust Him fully. Listen, you need an advocate. You need a God. You need a King. You need a supporter. You need a helper. You need a healer. You need a stronghold. He understands us and loves us because He is one of us and truly our great high priest who stands for us to mediate for us. Believer, He had to go through humiliation in order to get to glorification. He had to go through humiliation to get to glorification and exaltation. And do you think for a moment that we as His followers and disciples would have nothing less? Why do you think the Scriptures talk about wilderness before the promised land? Every believer is called to a time where we go through the wilderness when God pries our fingers loose. And we give up everything until we have Him alone. And then He brings us into the promised land. The hymn writer says, He was lifted up to die. It is finished. 
was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You know why Jesus gained that name above every name? By the way, what is that name? Lord, Master, King of the universe. The name that was given above every name. Why? Because he went through humiliation to get to exaltation. Humiliation always comes first. Finally, redeeming of our pain. What do we do with this? What do we do with pain? Try to escape it? You know, come on, be honest. Um, You like talking about death? Considering death? Your own death? The death of somebody you love? We as Americans try to hide it, distract ourselves from it, watch TV, uh, eat food, whatever we can so we don't have to think about death, suffering, pain. We run away from it. But I want to tell you that the Christian's call is to embrace it and to seek God's heart in it. What is it that you're going through today? Honestly, is it a wayward child? Is it a physical illness? Is it a broken relationship? What is God's heart in it for you today? What is His purpose in it? Don't run away from it. Embrace it. The sufferings that Jesus endured were the penalty that He endured for our sins. But those same trials and sorrows served another purpose. Listen to this. This is our last point and I want you to get this. I'm going to go over just a few minutes just to get this last point in. Brothers and sisters, living a very difficult life prepared our Savior to be the perfect help to us in our temptations and trials than otherwise He could have been. In our passage in Hebrews, why did I choose Hebrews 2 for today? To show you that the man of sorrows who entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday was prepared for a week of pain. He was still fully human and, 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 and even asked the Father to take it, it away from Him. But He came for the pain. He came to endure the pain and to show us the way through the pain so that exaltation would be on the other end. Listen to this. Hebrews 2.18, our passage. For because He Himself has suffered, He is able to help. Because He Himself has suffered, He is able to help. To help you. I've shared this before. My professor, David Pallison, who's now with the Lord, wonderful teacher at CCF, had a little girl when I was in school under him. His little girl's name was Hannah. And whenever Hannah would be going through a hard thing, David would say, Hannah, are you doing okay? And she would look up at him and and say, no, but Jesus is helping me. How about Hebrews 4.15? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. The fact that Jesus suffered as we suffer, that He endured our kind of pain and sorrow is the reason we can trust Him to help us. His own afflictions enable Him to understand what we are going through. His experience of sorrow has taught Him what we are feeling His experience has made Him the all-wise comforter and counselor and helper. 
It was his very hard life as the man of sorrows that equipped him so perfectly to care for us when we too suffer in this world. One author wrote this. This is not from the Bible, but one author wrote this. It has been said that empathy is an art, not a science, learned through the trials of this life. How are you with your empathy towards others? Application question. Surely this is one of the reasons why the Lord appoints so many trials and sufferings for us. You know, I've asked the Lord at least a dozen times, Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. Take this away. Lord, take this away. And I don't feel like I'm one step closer. I still haven't been able to eat. I'm in agony. I'm in mental agony now. But I don't know why. Maybe he has something for me that I can't see yet. Maybe. Or maybe it's to lose weight. I don't know what. I don't know what God's purpose is. If even the sinless one, even the Lord Jesus himself, learned through his affliction the perfect empathy for us that his high priesthood required, how much more must we poor selfish sinners suffer to become truly tender-hearted towards others? Have you ever considered that maybe the pain was given to you so that you can actually live out that commandment that says, love one another as I have loved you. If to love others is one of the two great purposes for which we are brought into this world and given breath, then pain and suffering soften our hard hearts and experiences that teach us how to find our peace in God alone. It's utterly necessary. The Lord's loneliness in the Garden of Gethsemane enabled him to understand loneliness. His compassion helped him to help those who are sorrowful. And he did that out of authority as one who was the wounded healer. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the wounded healer? That's who he is. Friends, um, We are called in Galatians 6 to bear with one another's burdens. And if we are to imitate the Lord Jesus, then we are to bear one another's burdens. And I want you to hear this as I close. To love one another means to love one another in their pain and their sufferings. And you cannot properly do that until you know trials and temptations and suffering yourself. I'm going to end with one story and then we'll close, okay? How many of you have ever heard of the name Johnny Erickson Tata? Have you heard that name before? Johnny Tata's famous now. I shared this with our young people at the retreat a few weeks ago about her story. Her story is that she was a vibrant young teenager at the top of her game, an accomplished swimmer. And the summer after her graduation in Maryland, she and her sister Kathy went to the Chesapeake Bay for a swim. She misjudged the depth of the water because it was murky. And she climbed aboard a nearby raft 
hoisted herself up on it and took a dive because that's what she was good at. She hit the ground hard. Her neck snapped and severed her spinal cord. And since the age of 17, she has been devastated as a quadriplegic. Her whole life, for 40 plus years, she has been in agony as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And she says when she was in the hospital bed, she remembered earlier in the year praying to God to draw her closer to himself. And as she was lying in the bed, she said, Lord, is this, could this possibly be the answer to that prayer I prayed to draw me closer to yourself? And she said, how could a God do that? And in the days ahead, she had a little pen in her mouth to use to flip open the pages because her arms didn't work. As she read the Scriptures, she began to re-understand what God's purposes for her life were. And she said, Lord, if this is how I'm going to live, then teach me how to live. I'm going to cut to the end of the story. Forty years. And that woman has written more than 40 books, ministered all over the world, and given away 35,000 wheelchairs for people who cannot afford it through teams that go all over the world to fit handicapped people with exactly what they need because she believed that God had a purpose for her life. And you know what our prayer is, Lord? Give me the strength to do what you called for me to be and to do. Brothers and sisters, how are you using your pain? Jesus didn't suffer for his own sake. He suffered for our sake. How are you using your suffering? Are you drawn in or are you embracing it and say, Lord, give me, show me your heart in this? Humiliation leads to exaltation. Thank you for your wisdom, O oh God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you will use even our infirmities to show us your strength and your power that You have gone before us to conquer sin and Satan and death, that You have shown us how to stand up against sin, to look it in the face and defeat it. And I pray, O oh Father, that You would strengthen us in the days ahead. Thank You for coming for us. Thank You for enduring pain for us. Thank You for being the man of sorrows. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.